Well, good morning again and welcome, church. Uh, it's so good to be at this point here again um, on a Vision Sunday and uh, as we look to God and continue walking with Him, continue on our journey with the Lord as He leads us into this new year, this new decade. Um, but I don't know about you, I, I have a hard time moving on sometimes. Um, like, I, I look forward to, you know, around, around mid-November, I look forward to Thanksgiving and the time off that you have, and then, because that's a little bit shorter, right? A couple of days off, and then after that, you look forward to Christmas, because, you know, Christmas is this longer break, right? And then, so you, you but, but you don't want to hype it up too much, because if you look forward, to, look forward to it too much, then at the end, it becomes somewhat of a letdown. But I, I look back towards Christmas, and I'm like, okay, we, we enjoyed it, so I, I, I tried to pace myself this past Christmas and New Year's to not enjoy it too much. Um, but one thing I did enjoy is, is being able to, to see, like, like we do every year, just the, the smiling faces of our children when on the one day of the year we can actually make them smile by giving them something for Christmas. Um, maybe the other day is their birthday, but Christmas is usually one of those days that you can make them smile. So... I have uh, the first pick up here is a picture of my daughter Becca after receiving a gift, and that's you know she's 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 not, not so much expressive, but she's got a smile on her face, and you know she's happy to receive the, the gift that she had. Now, I don't know what Christmas was like for you and your household, and for your for those in your family and children. Uh, I hope it wasn't um, the opposite of that. Like uh, you know, some of the kids when they open up their gifts, they they're like totally like, what did you just get me, <laughs> you know, um, and I, but I do remember one particular picture that I saw, and this was, you know, you might have seen this around, this, this next gift idea, if you ever have a chance to give a gift, please don't give that as a gift, um, a banana taped on a wall with duct tape, for some reason, someone decided to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for that, because they called it art, and um, so someone was happy, I suppose. But if you could think about, like, what, what sort of reactions could we anticipate for the kinds of gifts that we receive, you know? Wouldn't it be nice if we could tell how people would respond to the gifts that we give them, you know? And then you could decide whether or not you wanted to give the gift or whether or not you wanted to keep it behind. Well, that's the kind of lesson that we can kind of take into this new year, I think, where we, we see the gift, we know Christmas reminds us of this gift of Jesus that we have received, and then what we do with it going into the next year and beyond. Uh, how do we anticipate the gift of the kingdom of heaven? How do we look at the gift of the gospel that comes into our bad situation, our bad news situation? Because the gospel if we know the gospel means good news, then that means, by inference, that the good news speaks into our bad news. And so if we don't recognize that we were in a situation of having bad news, then the good news has no impact. And so that's what the people uh, during Jesus' time, that's what they were experiencing. Um, as we look into, for instance, in Matthew chapter 4, we find the context 
of, of the people for anticipating the gift of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Matthew 4, verses 16 and 17, for instance, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And so there you have the context of what, of what Jesus came into. And as he began his ministry, verse 17 reads, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So something drastically different was going to happen here. Something was changing. The situation for Israel was now changing. If you remember their history of them being chosen through Abraham and all his descendants down the line, they were chosen by God, but they had this problem called sin. And sin kept creeping into their situation, even though God gave them instructions to build a tabernacle and a, and a temple, and, and the prophets came, and they tried, to, they tried to warn the people to turn around to God. They still had this problem, but God always promised them a Messiah. And now here we are in this situation where Jesus is on the scene. From that time, he began to preach, saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. And so... Let me pause here and define kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God without going into great detail. But if you had to ask yourself, well, what does this mean? What does, this, what does the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven mean? Well, simply put, it is God with us, God's reign over us, and our eternal citizenship as believers. Now, those three aspects together are what we can collectively call the kingdom of God. It is a kingdom that changes the system of what humanity dealt with, okay? They were in this old system, this old covenant, now they're in this new covenant. And so looking back at Jesus' words when he began to preach, there's a couple of concepts that I want to bring out very quickly in the form of an introduction, is that repentance is a, we see a critical first step of this transformation, uh, Jesus began to, to preach saying, repent. Um, and as he preached that message, he unfolded his plan to call his disciples. And what did he do when he called his, his disciples? He, he came to them and said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And as, as they followed him, they taught, he taught them how to pray. And in his teaching of prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, we, if we move to Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, he teaches them a very compelling prayer, specifically in verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done. So that's part of the title of today's message is your kingdom come, but the question for us is whose will is done? Your kingdom come is a very powerful prayer. It is a very powerful and transformative prayer because in essence what we are saying when we either recite that prayer or we say, God, your kingdom come, what we're saying is Jesus is Lord. So when we, when we say this, do we really, do we really grasp the, the gravity of what it is we're praying? It is, it is a proclamation and a prayer it is a, that is very dangerous because it invites the power of the gospel to transform our entire purpose of existence. 
you really look at that prayer in itself. And so when we talk about transformation, these two kind of key ideas, repentance and prayer, are very key concepts that we take, in, take with us as a church into this year. And really for the entire decade, if you look at it, because 2020 for many of us, some of us, it's, a just, a new, it's just a new year. For many of us, it's a brand new decade because the last decade was maybe not so great. Maybe it wasn't uh, easy, smooth sailing. But here we are on this, in this new decade, and we're going forward as a church, and this is Vision Sunday, and these two concepts of repentance and prayer kind of really reinforce the vision of Redeemer Life Church, and that vision is experiencing gospel transformation together. And so being more than just a vision that we, we say, we speak, or we touch upon one time a year at the beginning of the year, can we at this point make a decision to really embrace and engage with this in our own lives? It, it involves us taking time to really stop and think about what the gospel is, what it means for us, and its impact in our lives. As I showed you before, when, when kids receive gifts, you can, I love the fact that they're, they're just so innocent and, and you can tell the impact of that gift right away. You don't have to guess how they feel about the impact of the gift they receive because they either like it, love it, or they hate it. There's really no in-between, especially if they've been anticipating that gift for a long time. And side note, parents, before you promise things to your kids throughout the year, be careful because they remember. Okay, so what is this anticipated gift? Well, the gospel, if we had to define this here, is the good news of God's redemptive work in Christ and is meant to be proclaimed and received as God's power to greatly change our lives. So the way that I like to think about this in terms of helping us understand, embrace, and embody the vision um, is that we ask the critical question. Uh, when you're trying to, to think about the vision, the critical question is, if the gospel we receive and proclaim is indeed true, how will it impact us? Is it theory, or does it really change us? Well, Jesus, in his ministry, teaches us how the gospel of the kingdom impacts people. And you would think that the, this great message of Jesus that he began to preach would be received equally and well, and everyone would just gather around him and be so excited to hear this. But when we turn to the pages of Matthew 13, we see something interesting happening here. The crowds that are following Jesus, they are crowding him so much that at, at one point he has to go to the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and they're crowding around him, and he's basically being forced into, into the sea and so what does he do? He gets into a boat and sits down in the boat and begins to teach the people as their rabbi. And he's teaching them, but he does something interesting. He teaches them in parables. Now, parables are, are an interesting way to teach people because Jesus uses illustrations and stories and, and almost proverbs in a way to teach truth. 
but he uses it differently than what most preachers or speakers would do, because when preachers and speakers use stories, they use it for illustrative purposes in order to reveal truth more. But Jesus, he teaches his parables for the exact opposite reason. In, in other words, he's teaching them parables to really hide the truth from them, to really not, not, not show them what they need to hear, but to really prove who's really listening and receiving the message. And so if you look at Matthew 13, there's a, a, few, a few parables here, right? There's the parable of the sower, or I would like to call it the parable of the soils. Um, you know, that one seed on good soil is the one who hears, understands, and bears fruit. There's bad soils where the, the soil, the, there's no growth there, or there's limited growth. Uh, and then he teaches uh, the disciples the purpose of the parables, and to, which is to actually make clear whether people really grasp the meaning of the kingdom or not. There's the parable of the weeds, um, where there's evil, sinful people that are separated from the overall harvest of people. There's a parable of the net, where there's fish that are actually checked to see whether they're good or evil, and the evil ones are taken away, and they don't just throw them away, they gather them up and burn them. And so this is an interesting chapter because Jesus, again, is, is what he's doing in the preaching of these parables is actually showing us what's happening to this crowd. This crowd is beginning to thin out and filter out, and that the ones who are actually hearing Jesus are the ones who will make it through that filter. You see, the people, when Jesus began his ministry, he, he began with, healing people, delivering people from demons, uh, restoring people of health from, from their, their health conditions. And the people were like, this is, this is great. This is new. This is something that I can, I can rally around. And so when you look at the modern church today, we might want to think of uh, ourselves as people that would rally around and, and gather around what God is doing because we see the great things that are happening. And, and so... What we have to do today is look at ourselves and ask ourselves the question, are we merely at a point where we're, we're like the fanatic crowd that are, are gathering around Jesus, or are we really hearing the message of the gospel that he's sharing with us? You know, there's, you know, our church isn't one, like one of the bigger churches, and we have all the fanfare and all the... The, the glitz and the glamour, that's nothing like that. Um, the church isn't necessarily like that, but the question I have for us to think about is um, our, our perspective on, on God and the kingdom of God and where we stand, we have to ask ourselves, kind of, am I on the perimeter of what God's doing? Because it's, it's sort of the comfortable place to be. You know, it's, this is my spot. I can see what, what's happening I see, I see God doing some great things here and there in other people's lives, and I, you know, I can rejoice with that. But, you know, I, I'm settled. I'm comfortable kind of remaining on the periphery of what's happening rather than kind of taking that step forward into what God is doing. That's a question that's before us, I think, at the beginning of this year, individually as well as a church. And so... The big idea for today, as, we, as I use that introduction to kind of help us think about this passage ahead of us, is 
what is our dedicated and committed response to the gospel of the kingdom? There is a dedicated and committed response that we will see Jesus teaching on in a couple of parables here. And two of those are joyful acceptance and costly surrender. Joyful acceptance and costly surrender. Now, those two things might seem like on the opposite ends of a spectrum. You know, why can't, you know, some of us ask, why can't I just joyfully accept the gospel? Why can't I just be happy about it? Why do I have to think about this idea of costly surrender along with it? I think it's because it goes against our nature of taking risks. It goes against our nature of wanting to be in a safe place. But as I, as I mentioned before, when you pray a prayer, your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's dangerous. That's dangerous because you're, you're submitting yourself to God. Say, Jesus is Lord. Let your kingdom come. But it's not something to be afraid of, as we'll see in these parables. It's something to joyfully accept. And, to, and this is how we'll see what it looks like. So let's look at the first parable. In Matthew 13, verses, verse 44, uh, 44 to 46 is, is the entire passage. So let's look at that. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had, and bought it. These are very, two very short parables that you'll only find in Matthew. But they really convey this idea of what a response to the kingdom of heaven looks like. So let's look at the first one. Kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. What can we learn about this man who found this treasure? He found it and covered it up. And then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Well, in his response, we learn two things. Number one, from the first part of verse 44, we learn that he has a desire to preserve and guard what he found. Now, he, we don't know why he was in the field. We don't, we're not told what he was looking for, but in this field, he found something. He found treasure. And when he found it, he doesn't immediately pick up that treasure and decide to go home with it. He covers it up, which is an interesting response because he's thinking in his mind a little bit more than just what he sees in front of his face. Because if it was like me, you know, like I think back to my times of, of going on Easter egg hunts <clears throat> and they tell you the golden egg is the one to get. Because when I was a kid, if you found the golden egg, you could win a bicycle. And I was like, man, I'm going to find that golden egg. But what I had to do when I thought about this is I have to think about the people doing this egg. And I, I'm like, okay, where are they going to hide this egg? I'm thinking three steps ahead. I'm like, okay, where, where would people actually hide this egg? And I go in those places. It'd be inside of a, a piece of wood, under a piece of log or inside of a tree that's hollowed out or whatever. The point is, you know, I wanted to find that egg and get that because I wanted to win the bicycle. Now, 
if I really had the power over that park where we held that Easter egg hunt, I would go to the officials and I would say, cancel the Easter egg hunt. There's only one participant that's going to partake in this Easter egg hunt. That's me. So no kids around, no other competition. You eliminate the competition. And then you go there, and you're like, you have all day to find that, that golden egg. And once you found it, guess what? You get the bike. But it's kind of like with this man who found treasure. He, he comes to a place where he des desires to preserve and guard what he found. But he wants to do that because there's also a desire to explore more of the treasure. So he's not short-sighted in thinking, okay, I, I found it. Let me just pick it up. But he wants to buy that whole, tr that whole field so that he can go back and discover what it is. And for, for a lot of us, the kingdom of God is like that. We, we see God's kingdom revealed to us and we like uncover a little bit. We're like, oh, that's great. And we're so excited. And then we just kind of like, let's, let's take that piece and go on along our, our merry way. Rather than saying, okay, I know what is valuable there. Let me go back and explore it some more. The hidden treasures of God's kingdom may not be fully understood. That's, that's the reason why we, we kind of take what we can. is because on some level we might be afraid of what we uncover. Because the more we uncover about God's kingdom, the more we're like, I don't understand this. This is too much to bear. But it's okay. We can, we can look at it in terms of looking at the whole field. So for some of us, it might be remain hidden. So what are the hidden treasures that remind us of God's grand kingdom story, this kingdom of heaven? There's some treasures that we can unearth. There's a treasure of his presence with us, even when we didn't recognize or acknowledge it. God's presence is a treasure. We just got through celebrating Emmanuel, God with us. And we gloss over that fact very quickly because we, it's because we're, we're not, we weren't part of the Israelites that were in the desert, that were wandering. The ones who were wanting God's presence to be with them, but they couldn't because of sin. The fact that God is with us, that's a treasure. Because there are times that we didn't recognize it or acknowledge it. Maybe when, it's, when we walk through our dark and lonely times where all we could see around us was darkness and distractions and loneliness and we were only focused on those things. But remember the treasure of God's presence. We also had treasure of his sovereignty over our lives. Even when we didn't want to submit to him. Think about all the cultural chatter that's going on these days. The messages that, are, that we're being bombarded, by, bombarded with, it's all over the place. You can't even look at your phone or tablet without being bombarded by messages of how we're supposed to think and how we're supposed to react and what kind of ideologies we're supposed to have. And we can quickly forget that above it all is God's sovereignty over us. There's also this treasure of being his chosen people. Even when we wanted to have our own identity, especially in this age of identity crises, when again, 
Other people are trying to tell us what we're supposed to be or how we're supposed to look at ourselves. Do we see ourselves, for those who follow Christ, as chosen people? And I think in order for us to get to a point of being able to explore what those treasures are, especially in this coming year, is for us to get to a point of not being afraid of the mysteries that we'll uncover, but to dig in, buy that, that field completely, all in. And Paul reminds us that we have helped to understand this. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 and 10, he reminds us, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the, the depths of God. So you might be like this man who found this treasure in that field, but you're hesitant to buy the whole field. So you can go back and later explore it to, to dig out those, those nuggets, those treasures of God found in his word, found in time in his presence because you're afraid that you might not understand it, but you have an advocate, the Holy Spirit, who is your guide, who is your counselor, and he's there to help you. He's there to help us understand what these things are so that we can understand its value. So the parable of the hidden treasure it means that we are to go all in with Jesus. And that is a call to go deeper. A call to go deeper. What, what areas can we go deeper in? Can we go deeper in prayer? Can we go deeper in prayer because we recognize the treasure of God's presence with us? Can we go deeper in the word because we know that's where we see and learn the heart of God for his people, for this world. We as a church, we can, we can come together and think of all the different things that we can do for our communities, all the ways that we can help alleviate suffering and all the ways that we can reach out to others. But if we do all of that without knowing God's heart as revealed in his word and as the spirit reveals to us, when we spend time in prayer, then we are lost in that effort. Let's go deeper. There's another parable of the pearl of great, great value. The parable of the pearl of great value in verse 45 and 46. This is where we prioritize God's kingdom purpose. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So we have this merchant. He's doing his business. He's a professional. He's in search of things that he can use to trade. He can use to buy. So what does he do? He, maybe he, in his experience, finds out that fine pearls are the way to go. Now, I don't know. Some of, some of you ladies who understand what pearls are and what they what value they hold you might be able to tell us what that means I, I couldn't tell you uh, but if I was a merchant I would know that pearls have great value and so here's this merchant in search of these fine pearls 
What can we learn from the merchant's response when he finds the one great pearl? That one pearl of great value. Now imagine how much, how much more valuable is that pearl than what the merchant is searching for. Because the merchant knows. He knows what's valuable. He knows when he's looking for those pearls. He knows. But he finds one. And we learn, this is what he does. He went and sold all that he had and bought that one pearl. We learn that the merchant was looking for something of value to sustain his life. That's his job. That's what a merchant does. He buys and sells. But he's motivated by what is value or what brings value to his life. And so we're like that merchant in some some ways because we are going through life and we learn to recognize things that we need as valuable, things that can sustain our lives. We go in search of those things. We also learn from the merchant that he recognized the difference between what is just fine pearls and what the pearl of great value was. So there is a difference that he can discern. He he understands that this pearl of great value is so much more valuable. I wonder in our own lives if when we look at God's kingdom, if we're able to, to discern what's valuable in our lives. Are we able to discern those things? These, these fine pearls, we sort of maybe settle on fine pearls in our life. What are those types of fine pearls? What are some of the fine pearls we seek out for value? Well, we place value, first of all, in who we are. In our own lives, we, we look at our background, our upbringing, our pedigree, our purpose, our education. Uh, maybe it's our, our family. Whatever it could be, there's a certain value that we recognize and we assign in who we are. We place value in who we are. Secondly, we place value in how we think. Our ideologies, our perspectives, our values. And sometimes we like to share those things on social media. We like to share those things with people that we talk to. Some of us, we're just waiting for people to ask us, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And we're like, yes, let me tell you exactly what I think about that. And we're, we're, that's, you know, we, we place a certain value on that. We also thirdly place value in what we have, our accomplishments, our possessions, or anything that we want to kind of put on ourselves about what we have. And lastly, we place value in how we relate. Our relationships, whether it be family, friends, Social networks, whether we have 200 followers or 700 followers or we've reached the max of 5,000 followers and uh, we let people know, I'm I'm getting off Facebook because I have more than 5,000 followers so I'm going to create a page and you guys can follow me there. Whatever it is that we use, without realizing it, I mean, and the people that create these technologies, they, they know this. They know how humans think. And they know that people value that sort of thing. I've said this many times before. I'm like, the, the, I, I get on social media, I post pictures, and I, you know, I could have posted that picture of Becca up there and wanted people to, you know, 
80 or so likes, I'd be happy with that, right? I can't compare with some of you, you know, with the hundreds and hundreds of likes that you have. But that's, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit that. When I post pictures, I know what gets me likes. It's my kids. <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> it's always my kids. And so we, we, we value those things. But the question is, how do they compare with the pearl of great value? we find in the gospel of the kingdom. How does any of this compare? These are all, again, fine pearls. We're, we as merchants, we recognize the fine pearls that are in our lives. But when we come across the, the pearl of great value, how do we respond? How do we value this? They don't compare with the pearl of great value we find in the gospel of God's kingdom. And the response that the merchant does is very staggering. Look at what he does. He went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, the merchant has some means. He's not a poor guy. He's a merchant. He makes money. He doesn't just buy the, the pearl of great value with whatever money he has in the bank. He sells everything else that he has to get that great pearl. And so sometimes, to me that's very convicting because sometimes when I look at my own life, I think, I, yeah, God, you're the, you're the topmost priority in my life. And so what I'll do is, you know, after all of my other affairs of my life are done or taken care of or, or settled, then I'll, I'll devote some time and energy to you. I'll, I'll devote some time, energy, effort, all that to you. Because, you know, that's, now I can, you know, all this is, is taken care of, so now I can focus on you, God. That's not what the merchant does. He sells everything else, all these other pearls that he, before he saw the great pearl, he had all these pearls and he needed those things to sustain his life. He sells it all for the great pearl. Do the things in our life compare to that great pearl, pearl of great value? One of, my, one of the songs that I, lo I love about from Hillsong United is called Lead Me to the Cross. Because there's a line in that song that is, it speaks to me every time I sing it because it convicts me. And that line is, everything I once held dear, I count it all as loss. Everything I once held dear. These are good things. These are things that we want to keep in our lives. And we, we consider them as very dear to us. But everything that I once held dear, now I count it as loss. Compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing you. That's what Paul reminds us in Philippians. Philippians 3.8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing, Je knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That amazes me because every time I either sing that that line or I read that verse, it reminds me to, to really look at what I count as valuable, what I count as dear in my life. And these are, don't, don't misunderstand me, these are, all, these are all things God places in your life. But he never gave you these things to replace him. He never gave you your blessings to replace the prominence that he has in your life. And so, what do we learn from the parable of the pearl of great value? To prioritize God's kingdom purpose is to value the worthiness of Christ above all else. That's a hard thing to do sometimes, I admit. Because in life, we, we have life changes, we have ups and downs, we have twists and turns, and everything around us gets kind of mixed up sometimes, and it takes our attention away from the worthiness of Christ. Simply from the worthiness of Christ. It just, we get tied up. But I go back to what our life group talked about last, uh, two nights ago. And this idea that we, we, we sometimes hold ourselves back from serving God because we're worried about what God's going to ask us to do. We, we st- that, that's why we sometimes stay in the periphery, Right? And we, we love seeing what God is doing, but sometimes we don't want, we, we, it's a hard time to go to that center. But I think we remember simply what Jesus said when he called us. Follow me. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will help you know how to serve him. Follow me and I will help you know how to contribute to the kingdom of God. And so, through all of these, help us to see the worthiness of Christ above all else. Can we do that in this coming year? And I don't know where you are. This past decade, I'm old enough to look at the the last decade and think life has changed a lot. Some of you who are looking forward and looking well into the future of what this new year and new decade might have. And where we stand now as a church, there's a lot going on, a lot that we're anticipating. We're anticipating a lot of things. But can we go back to this anticipation of what God's kingdom and how it can transform us and our perspective, what that really looks like? Are we joyfully receiving it? Are we joyfully accepting it as well as understanding the costly surrender involved in it. I hope, my hope and prayer for us, for each of you as individuals and for our church community is that we will take this kingdom and we'll move forward with joy and surrender and not see them as different things, but joyfully and and in surrender go forward with what God is going to do through and in us. Let's pray. Father, you are doing amazing things in us, Lord. 
for us to be able to come to this point in, in our history and you're leading us individually as well, God, as we reflect on the last decade and the last year. And we look forward, God, to this new year, this new decade. But we don't want to just transition into newness without a recognition of that great gift of your kingdom and what it means to really be known by your name, to really submit ourselves to your sovereignty. And God, to recognize the value of your presence with us, God. Lord, we know the kingdom of God has, there's so much, so much mystery to it. There's so much treasure that is left to be unearthed and dug up. But God, we want to be a people that don't shy away from that challenge, but we want to be people that go all in and buy the whole field because we know of the treasure that's there. And we want to be a people that learn to see the value that is the kingdom of God and the good news that has come, that it overshadows anything else that we find important in this life. Bring us to that place, Lord of complete surrender to you because we know you can take what we have, no matter how good or bad or broken it is, that you can take these things, transform them, and use them for your glory. So that's where we stand, God. We, we stand with you as, as a people that want to surrender to you, to be used by you. Thank you for your precious people that have stood with us. And Lord, we thank you, God, for the commitment they have. And my prayer is, Lord, that you would continue to grow that, that closeness with you for us to find that treasure in you. Thank you so much. I pray all these things in